0: Are you ready to take your career to the next level? This is IISE's Michael Hughes, and earning a master's in engineering management from the University of Louisville can strengthen your leadership skills and open new career opportunities in just 10 courses. In UofL's fully online program, take just one course at a time, whenever it's most convenient, making it easy to balance life and education. All you need is a bachelor's in a STEM field. Six Sigma Black Belt certification available, and no GRE is required. Learn more about this online 10-course master's program at louisville.edu slash online. This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, our first episode in 2022. I'm David Brandt, IISE's digital strategist, and in this episode, I talk with Tom West, founder of Green Dot Consulting Group and the pre-con workshop instructional lead at the Healthcare Systems Process Improvement Conference, taking place January 19th through the 21st at the Rosen Center Hotel in Orlando, Florida. I talked to Tom just before the holidays about his workshop topic of design thinking how he's had to change professionally since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and his enthusiasm for the HSPI conference. Tom West, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. Great to see you again. The last time we saw each other was uh, HSPI 2020 in Savannah, um, which was on the uh, precipice, if you will, of the start of the pandemic. Not exactly as exciting as I make it sound, but <laughs> nevertheless, it was oddly timed. And I remember that weekend in Savannah, uh, a lot of news was breaking about the first cases in the states. Uh, I think cases in California and New York were starting to appear. And then I just remember the feeling of the entire conversation that week just shifting immediately to coronavirus and the potential of a pandemic. So since we've been through that, now here we are almost two years later. What's your overall feeling about the nature of change that's occurred since then, be it in your work and or your life?
2: I I think uh, just hearing two years kind of reminds you that um, this has been pretty um, long lasting and so many things before it are now different as a result of it. And some of that's good, some of that's you know indifferent, and some of that is uh, unsettling and causing uh, a lot of grief and uh, people, um, you know, experiencing anxiety because of that uncertainty, so on and so forth. So, it's been a roller coaster uh, to say the least. Um, and I think if you interviewed anyone, they would probably have their opinions too. But, you know, for me. As a person who worked in healthcare for many years uh, prior to kind of venturing out on my own, it was a lot of heartache to kind of watch it happen and, and to realize that those healthcare professionals who I, I refer to as caregivers, anyone who works in the healthcare sector, absolutely, they were facing challenges before that pandemic hit. You know, they were experiencing high levels of burnout. Um, they, they do really hard work. Um, and it just got really much harder for them as the pandemic hit, but, you know, prior to it, they were trying to work through, um, mental health, uh, issues with their patients, um, trying to work across the complex continuum of care to make sure their patients had good outcomes. Uh, they were dealing with an opioid crisis that that's probably not gone away. We just, aren't paying as much attention to it as we had before. So, you know, as it hit, like I was just heartbroken because I knew the how exhausted they were and and how much more we were going to be asking of them as we went into this very challenging time. And, and we're still in it and we're seeing it's really impacted them. And, um, but, th- but they've risen to that challenge. So I'm also hopeful, you know, I had that heartache, but I also knew that these servants... Uh, have done tremendous things. And, uh, although this was a big challenge, I never doubted that they can rise to it. And it's been wonderful to watch the innovation that they've brought to the problem and, uh, you know, helped, helped us to gain traction uh, in this very difficult time. So, um, probably mixed emotions. I, I would think anyone who talks about it, they have that mixed emotion where, they don't know really what to say. It's a very hard question to answer because <laughs> we're still in a state of uncertainty. Who knows what's going to happen next with with all these variants occurring and we'll see where things go.
1: Well, sure. Even at this time, a few days earlier, the first news of the Omicron variant, uh, which, you know, we're still waiting to hear more data on. And I, I think our our social consciousness has a short uh Level of patience, <laughs> you know. Everybody wants an answer. Everybody wants to know what's coming ahead. But I think for the first time in a long time, there is so much uncertainty, and and in this information, and, and and what this means uh, for how we need to behave. How certainly how healthcare workers need to operate, which I'm sure is where the largest burden is like you said, still being placed. And I think the difficulties in uh, determining the path forward for everyone, even us here, as we're trying to navigate how to conduct a live conference again, you know, we're, we're paying as super close attention and we're trying to make sure that we have a a safe conference and that uh, nobody, uh, you know, comes into it with uh, a serious risk and uh, making sure that we all protect ourselves and do what we can to avoid making it worse for any individual. And that's i think very very difficult to uh, to manage and uh, you know we're going to continuously try to you know stay on top of it and, and
2: do better but it's hard like you said it's very difficult yeah it's definitely a trade-off theory right cuz there's the good things happening and then there's also risk and uncertainty on the other side of that and you know i was always taught to try not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and try to look for the seemingly good thing in or or the good thing in a seemingly bad situation. And, you know, I think we, as a society, we have had some opportunities to increase our awareness around our relationship with our our work and our family and our local communities. And I think some good things, and even ourselves, relationships with ourselves. So, you know, during this time, people may have been, um, you know, invited to do some self-reflection and some consideration of, you know, who are they and what do they want in their life and what do they want for their families? And people are exercising more. Uh, There's um, less of a stigma talking about mental health and increase in individuals' willingness to practice mindfulness or meditate uh, or put themselves out and challenge themselves athletically. So, you know, some of those things I, I believe are bright spots. Uh, and ultimately may lead to better health years from now, because, you know, um, it, there, it's a lot of research has happened that the the amount of work we do and the stress we endure uh, through our careers can, in some cases, lead to disease and illness. And, you know, during this time, some people had the chance to sit back and say, well, Man, I, I actually feel a little bit better this morning. Waking up and not having to get, sit in traffic and deal with that stress, or attend meetings, um, and deal with that stress, or, uh, you know, have disruptions in my work, and I could be really focused. So, uh, you know, uh, in some regards, the pandemic has caused great concern for health, but it also has opened up a little bit of a sliver of an opportunity for us to do things now in our lifestyles that'll lead to better health in the future.
1: Well, as you bring it up, we're talking about change and we're talking about the changes that we've had to make in the pandemic. And I think that's certainly leading into the topic of your pre-conference workshop at the uh, HSPI 2022, uh, which is on design thinking. Um, I could talk about it all day long from the perspective of somebody who's worked in media for 20 years, but the clarity and instruction behind the concept wasn't really around when my career began. In talking about design thinking, how would you define that for
2: our audience? It's uh, been around for a while. So it's popularized um, through some of the big uh, innovating companies like Google and IDEO. And uh, it's becoming a little bit more mainstream now in healthcare. And it's exciting to see. So the, the, the practice of design thinking is creative problem solving. To address a, a wicked problem or a complex problem that requires the organization and the design team to fully immerse themselves in the customer's experience in regards to healthcare that's the patient or patient family or even the community at large to really uh, gain empathy, to, to see what they see, to feel what they feel, and to design from that perspective. And that's a unique approach to problem solving. Um, but it's also really exciting and innovative and out of the box and and leading to some uh um, much needed disruption in my opinion.
1: We were talking about the changes in healthcare and certainly you know what healthcare workers have had to do to adjust, you know, design thinking in healthcare. You 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 mentioned design thinking in general has been around for a while largely with the tech companies was this an idea that was introduced in healthcare ahead of the pandemic, or has it been something that has resulted from the pandemic?
2: I can't really speak like globally across the industry. I can only speak to my experience in the healthcare sector, um, and it could I could be unique in my experience, but being a small business owner and, and someone who advises health systems on um, their transformation efforts, um, I was... You know, in April, um, an individual like many other individuals who worlds got turned upside down has the severity of the pandemic escalated. Working almost primarily in healthcare, I went from you know being overly busy to having absolutely nothing to do because the healthcare sector was inundated with challenges to the point where they couldn't even think about. Uh, bettering themselves or bettering their business or applying continuous improvement. So before the pandemic, you know, I felt that uh, many healthcare organizations were trying to bring this skill set into their organizations to to gain traction on the problems they were trying to solve. And many organizations were on their transformation, but I think has it hit a lot of organizations, at least the ones I was working with at the time, every one of them suspended those activities mm-hmm. and trying to reengage that dialogue, uh, with leaders and with the organizations to get the, get everything going again has continued to be a challenge. You, the door opens when we're in a, when, when the uh, pandemic or the spread of the virus or the severity of the disease that it's causing in people is retreating, the doors open just a tiny bit and you engage in dialogue and you're like, well, all right, we're going to get this started again. And you know, the, the cyclical thing of all this, it, that door closes within a month. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think the seeds are there. Um, the, the, The demand is there, but the um, watering, the nurturing of it hasn't happened. So I think they're planted. And if we allow ourselves to kind of go back and water those things and pour energy and nutrients into them, they can start to bloom and lead to good things. But who knows when that capacity is going to return because everyone's attention is rightfully placed on this pandemic. And it's kind of a waiting game to See when their attention can, where they have high enough confidence that they can spread their attention across managing the, this crisis and returning to the efforts to improve their business.
1: So, possibly the salesmanship, if you will, of design thinking to workers in healthcare and to executives in healthcare who, like you say, Probably want to continue in their improvement efforts, but they just can't do it because of, you know, cyclical uh, spikes in the virus or just patient overload, that kind of thing. All these things have been happening for the last couple of years that have yet to end. Yeah. Is this going to be more of a retrospective? Uh, Approach then? Do you think? Uh, I mean, is design thinking going to be something that might be an easier sell once we possibly have at least gotten this down from a pandemic
2: to maybe an endemic? (laughs) I I don't know the jumping off point. Um, You know, senior leaders and really bright minds are going to be the ones that kind of target it. Uh, I do have opinions though, because the cyclicalness of, of the pandemic, you know, retreating and then spiking and then retrieving and spiking it that's causing a lot of uh, fatigue. Sure. And has that art in the, in the kickoff of this conversation, we'd already talked a, a lot about caregivers and the burden that they've carried in the um, and also the respect that they were already experiencing high levels of burnout before this even hit. So I think that's the other factor that is up, at play here in regards to when design thinking can take root again in the healthcare sector because you all change should be led by the people who do the work right and for that's where you want to be mindful and respectful of everything they've got going on is when is it appropriate to ask them to, to carve out time to engage in that manner to be on project teams again uh, because they're tired and uh, but on the other side of that is uh, they also see change needed. And change is not going to happen unless they're the ones who make it right. So it's, it's a delicate dance, uh, for sure. So that's where I am of the opinion that as design thinking returns to that space. I'd love to see the initial projects really be focused on the caregiver experience. Uh, now I'm not saying the patient experience isn't important and that it's not a project that should be activated. Um, I, I do think that, Uh, are essential, but I I don't know if you can get there until you care for the people uh, who are really looking for a break right now. Like I, I think design thinking could be a very powerful solution to come in and understand the caregivers experience over the last several years and really empathize with their expectations going forward and try to create unique solutions to better provide the caregivers with wellness and and satisfaction and allow them to return to that space to where they have the energy to enjoy their work and see the impact they're making and to practice compassion right now with everything they have going on, that those things are really, really hard to keep front of mind. And i I hope that we can use design thinking to find ways to, give them that space so that they can get back to that point.
1: Well, and I think, too, there might be parallels within, you know, logistics and supply chains uh, where you have companies and and employees who maybe are wanting to experiment more with improvement efforts like, you know, lean disciplines like Kaizen, for example, if they wanted to implement that or at the very least come to understand it as a way of improving their processes, uh, they may be just in a tight holding pattern right now because they're having to deal with backup. Mm-hmm. and they're having to deal with just getting the shipment out, you know, they you know, there's a lot of challenges there all the same as we, as we've, you know, we hear about that really as much now as we hear about, um, you know, the problems in, in healthcare and the challenges with caregivers. And I think that's something that, you know, industrial engineers instinctively, I think, want to improve immediately. But I think this, this whole era we've been in the last couple of years seems to reflect that very that very test of that of that idea. Um, I think that industrial engineers, be it whatever industry they're working in right now, um probably have to deal with the now, (laughs) you know, they're just like everybody else. They have to deal with the now improvement may have to come later. Uh, I I wonder, though, how much longer can they go (laughs) before it? You just have to start, you know, coming up with new methods and try and try and experiment and test, you know, um, throw, you know, go into a process without sacrificing the needs of now. I think that
2: may be the next challenge. It's always been a challenge in healthcare. I, I, you know, worked in a health system for 10 years and getting critical roles in the room was a challenge back then that um, it it's hard to navigate. But the reality is, is if resources can't be made available to engage in the dialogue and share their ideas uh, and challenge each other, and then also challenge the system. It, we're um, always going to get more of the same. So it's, you know, can we expend a little bit of energy um, to start to institute change, which is going to in, in over time provide a return of um, time, you know, efficiency savings, time making work easier, more effective, and get that flywheel going again. I mean, the initial leap is probably the scariest, but after you do that one project and you see that benefit and it gives you that little carve out of wiggle room back in your, in your team's day. Now, what do you do with that wiggle room? Well, my opinion is you reinvest it in the next change and whatever benefit that creates, you reinvest it in that change. And it becomes more of a compounding effect. So I think it's, I, I would think probably pretty terrifying to take that initial leap to put a bunch of resources in a room and do um, a Kaizen or a rapid improvement event. And design thinking is the same um, has those approaches, right? It's very intensive resource intensive, requires full engagement, a team in a room, often for five days um, going through a facilitated exercise to understand uh, the customer's experience, or the problem at hand, through the customer's experience, which very much so could be the employee themselves, um, and then to uh, you know take that information that was gained through observing the process or studying the process, and convert that into ideas for improvement that you test and experiment with, and uh, modify and iterate on in order to come out the other side of the event with. Uh, a different paradigm with new ideas, new way of doing the work and a new energy. So I think almost immediately, if you put people in the room, um, I think as they get the invite, they're probably going to be a little skeptical. Like I don't have enough time to do this, but um, miracles happen during those improvement events. They're full of energy and they create excitement. They give people hope um, so just hosting these events, I think in some ways, whether the ideas are breakthrough or not, I think it's a change of mindset for people of okay, we're no longer surviving. We're now taking everything we've learned and we're looking down the road and we're trying to be proactive uh in the changes we make so that we as an organization or a system are better. So you know, I think the times. Well spent. If you look at it that way, is man to me one of the best ways to address burnout is to equip that person with you know some some, some tools that allow them to improve their resilience and give them the space to to return to a point where they can be well, you can't just do that and not change their environment, right? Because if they do all those things and they come back to chaotic work processes or processes that aren't designed around the customer's needs, and they're never really going to work because of that, you also have to change that person's work environment as well. So I think it's like a one-two punch is you've got to allow them to return to wellness, but then you also got to allow them to change their circumstances of the work they do every day. And improvement methods like uh, Lean Six Sigma, um, which you had mentioned, Kaizen and Demake, those kind of fall under that that umbrella. And even design thinking are tools that will allow someone to be able to make the the differences that they want to see occur within their everyday.
1: So, yeah, I think that, like you're saying... Preparation really is the best defense, and all of these challenges, and certainly the extreme amount of bad luck <laughs> that uh, uh, the healthcare industry in particular is facing right now.
0: Have you ever been part of an engineering project or team and wished you were calling the shots? This is IISC's Michael Hughes. The online master's in engineering management at the University of Louisville can expand your career opportunities and prepare you to take leadership roles in just 10 courses. Classes cover topics like engineering operations, financial management, and more. You can also earn your Six Sigma Black Belt certification. All you need is a bachelor's in a STEM field and the drive to take your career to the next level. No GRE required. Make your next career move with this online program at louisville.edu slash online.
1: I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more in detail about your pre-conference workshop that you've got coming up, but you identify yourself as an improvement nerd. And I think you even identified yourself as this when I met you a couple of years ago. Uh, I want you to tell me a little bit more about why that is and uh, explain a little bit more about the Green Dot Group.
2: And some of the stories I was just telling, I kind of shared my background growing up in in healthcare. Um, So I had worked in a a local health system here in Indianapolis for about eight and a half years um, right after graduate school went in and I was uh, a green belt certified through my university and was very fortunate to join a growing team of internal process improvement professionals uh, that were being asked to deploy this discipline into the organization. And at the time there was, uh, I was, the fourth person hired and the organization was about 12,000 caregivers eventually grew to 16,000, but we eventually grew to 16 in our office. Um, so I saw some tremendous transformation happen during my career within healthcare. And I really uh, grew as an individual, um, you know, thanks to the benefit of mentors and coaches and people who saw the best in me. Cause I have a degree in finance. So, oh, fascinating. Um, I didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, alt- altruism, practicing empathy, thinking creatively uh, wasn't very natural to me. And um, analytics was my comfort zone. So, like, you gave me a project and told me to put an ROI to it. Like, ooh love it. Yeah. That's my comfort zone. But, uh, working with a team and managing conflict and trying to empower them and keep them excited and also instill in them, uh, trust, you know, trust in themselves, trust in their leaders, uh, trust in me, those things, uh, numbers don't help you do that. So I really had to, learn how to, um, practice the soft side of being a belt, as well as the number sides of being a belt. And I totally got, uh, addicted to watching teams achieve breakthrough. Like, um, the energy was so contagious, right? You, you get a team and on day one there, uh, you know, there's a range of things. There's a couple of people excited, but in large part, their skepticism, right? Like people don't think that anything's going to be different. You know, we've tried this before, it didn't stick, and here we are again. Um, and then you work with them and they start to get traction. Uh, you show that you're there as a facilitator of their ideas and are going to help them test them in a safe environment and learn as they go and, um, you know, get this tremendous momentum. And as they do that, there's a shift of energy in that team. They went from disbelief and being discouraged to, uh, excited and impassioned again. And, um, that was like the drug for me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, how do I, how do I keep this going? How do I get more of that? So I, You know, went from being a green belt to a black belt, to a master black belt, to getting my PMP, uh, to becoming a master change agent, to getting my certification of organizational excellence, and you know, I I was just knowledge seeking, and all the um, drive to do that was to equip myself with the skills so that I can transfer those to the caregivers because they were the ones who could make change, Uh, and along the way, I just had to learn to embrace that that um uh, that was the nerdy side of me and uh it was something to be proud of um and if i can embrace myself and all the things that make me unique and i can be vulnerable in front of the teams i was leading my hope was that um they felt safe to be vulnerable too uh so i would encourage the teams i was working with was to just do what makes you nerdy right like <laughs> just embrace that part of you And, uh, you know, we're going to grow tremendously as individuals and we're going to be able to bring our best selves to this effort. And if we can do those things, I'm over the moon confident that we're going to have tremendous results because it. Change always always starts with an individual's willingness to try something different, right? In your
1: case, getting beyond the numbers, it sounds like.
2: (laughs) Oh, I had to get way out of my comfort zone because, David, I'm an introvert, right? That's why I went to school. I studied um, business administration and finance, and I just wanted to be a really good analyst. I wanted to live in my bubble with my spreadsheets and just do forecasting and you know, stay in that comfort zone. And, uh, and that's why they hired me in healthcare initially. That's the, uh, the promise they gave me was that I would be their ROI person. I'm like, Great. I'll do all your control charts and I'll do all the data analysis and all that. And it it was a bait and switch. I tell you, (laughs) because after about three months, they're like, we have more projects than we have enough people to satisfy Tom. You're going out from behind your desk and in front of teams. Ah, See, (laughs) That's
1: that's, that's where talent (laughs) ends up getting you in trouble. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah,
2: So uh, I had to get, comfortable being uncomfortable very quick because public speaking was not natural at the time. I remember getting sick to my stomach um, in college whenever I had to do a presentation in front of the classroom Um, and same queasiness was there as a professional having to make presentations in front of people I've never met before, but eventually, you know, they kick you out of the plane enough and make you do the thing that scares you, you grow in your confidence that you can get it done Uh, And instead of letting that fear overwhelm me, I would talk about it in front of my teams. I would tell people I'm uncomfortable right now. My comfort zone is working with numbers. I have a finance degree, but today we're going to talk about emotions and empathy and the hard things. And that's not natural to me. And I'm assuming it may not be natural to you. So let's just be uncomfortable together and embrace that. Um, you know, and and, and find comfort. And we're, what we're doing here is trying to help someone else have a better life. And man, if you look at change in that respect, uh it's pretty easy to get uncomfortable because what it's what's at stakes is implementing solutions and innovations that are going to lead to better outcomes for another person. And um, I think I'm rambling now. But hopefully, I said something of significance in it. Uh, so that that's kind of where the improvement nerd mantra came from: was just go with the flow, do what you love, embrace the nerdy part of you, because it allows you to show up, and as you show up, it encourages others to show up too, and that energy just kind of is like a ripple effect. Um, and it, it can do pretty profound things.
1: You could have fooled me, though, on the confidence part, because if our listeners go back and hear Tom's interview from the 2020 conference, there was a lot of confidence <laughs> shining through. <laughs> like, I remember just having to kind of stand back a little bit. I'd hold the microphone out just enough <laughs> because there was just confidence shining through. So yeah. if you want to hear an argument to what he just said, by all means, listeners, go back and listen to his interview from the HSBI 2020. I am so
2: just. <laughs> (laughs) rewind that, that networking (laughs) event. I remember, um, in the hotel room in Savannah, looking in the mirror, telling myself I can go be around other people and I'll be okay because it's anxiety inducing for someone who's an introvert to go to a networking event and meet people. And thankfully when I, I got there, uh, kind of bragging a little bit about the community you guys have created at your conferences. So when I got there, uh, I was immediately welcomed by your all's planning committee and your leadership. Um, and then in line uh, I was uh, introduced to Vinny and I met uh, AJ Hobbs and it was AJ who actually nudged me to be on the podcast. I, th- I met you too. Um, obviously, cause you and I did that podcast together, but I'll tell you, I was sick to my stomach on the walk down the sidewalk to go to the hotel to attend that. Uh, session. Um, But I'm really glad I did it because I met some tremendous people who are now uh, very close friends. Well, again, you could have fooled me. Uh, So you are coming back uh, to this year's
1: conference and uh, you're leading this pre-conference. Any details you can share with attendees about what they can expect from your workshop? Any insight on how you plan to engage them on design
2: thinking? Um, I, I believe, you know, when you try to deploy a skill to someone else, the best thing you can do is, um, you know, allow them to experiment with it and get hands on. So the workshop is, uh, as you said, a pre-conference workshop. So it occurs on Wednesday, uh, January 18th, I believe um, we're going to be uh, 19th, the 19th? 19th, January 19th. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that event runs, you know, it's a half day, four hour session and we're going to kind of kick off, talking a little bit and educating people on what design thinking is. I imagine there's going to be peop- some people in the room who are familiar with it, but then there's hopefully some novices who are hearing it for the first time. So we want to, um, you know, set the stage as to what, what it is, um, but then also go through some icebreaker exercises to get people in the design thinking mindset, because it's not, it's not very natural to, um, do design, right. Uh, you have to really uh, pump yourself up in some ways, and there's some some ground rules to effective design thinking that they do cross over. They do kind of apply a little to Kaizens and uh, some of that Lean Six Sigma. But to to me, those two approaches, Lean and Six, like they really just challenge someone's mind. Um, So highly analytical sessions, you're doing a lot of process mapping, a lot of data analysis and a lot of benchmarking. Uh, You're using a lot of that um, analytical muscle. Well, in design thinking, you you will use that one, uh, but you're also going to use your heart and you're also going to use your gut. um, And you're going to use all three of those things interchangeably and repeatedly. uh, And you're going to be pretty darn tired as a result of it. Um, so we want to get people in the position to where they realize that that's, what's essential to good design is, you know, trusting your heart, trusting your gut and using your head. Uh, so we've got some icebreakers that'll kind of get them in that mindset. And then, you know, we're going to try to solve a problem. Uh, obviously it won't be a full blown design sprint, Uh, you know, design sprint typically runs over five days. So the ideas we come up with—they're gonna, going to be doodles. They're going to be scratches on a piece of paper. But you know, we're going to do some sales pitching. We're going to allow people to air their ideas in front of someone else, which is terrifying. You know, because people want their ideas to be perfect and right the first time around. But reality is, is, ideas are often pretty ugly uh, early on. And through showing them to other people and seeking feedback from them. Uh, you're able to bring the complement of those ideas to your ideas and and grow them and mature them. And as a result of that, you come up with something that's pretty unique. So excited to host the conference and um, somewhat, you know, expose people to this world that maybe they haven't had a chance to work with them before. And I'm just hopeful that, you know, someone catches the bug. If just one person catches the bug and says, Holy smokes, we need to be doing this back at my organization. To me, that that's a win. Now, if everyone in the room drinks the juice and the Kool Aid, and they want to do it too, I'm like I, you know, I could just hang it up right there because uh, I'll have done more than I hoped I would have achieved in going out there.
1: Let's clarify too that by catching the bug, he means the idea and not yeah the virus. No, not, not <laughs> yeah, not that one. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> you did talk a little bit already about your experience and uh, what brought you to the conference and, and your, um, the results of, of, of the experience in 2020. So what's kept your interest, what's brought you back uh, to this year's event, despite the ongoing pandemic and what advice would you give to someone who's maybe still on the fence about it, uh, regardless of circumstance.
2: It, it has never really left my mind because the people I met while out there, Uh, haven't left my mind either. So I'm I'm still in regular conversation with the friends I made while I was out there. Some of them have been guests on the podcast that I was hosting for a while. Uh, You and I, we exchange and and have banter back and forth through LinkedIn. And uh, so the, the sense of community is really what has kept it front of mind. Even last year when it was all virtual, that sense of community was still very much so present with individuals um, showing support for one another and pouring themselves into someone else and giving them that encouragement that, you know, this is, and also acknowledgement that this is hard right now. Um, but it will always be hard and we can rely on each other to weather the storm and to continue to think about, um, the difference that could potentially be has those doors open and to challenge each other to stay present and just wait for those doors to open so that we can walk through them when they're, when they're opened up to us. So that, that sense of community has really been the thing that, um, was just surprisingly the gift that I wasn't expecting to get when I went out there and uh, to Savannah, um, two years ago. So, you know, to people thinking about this, uh, you know, there's great presentations, there's tremendous knowledge, um, being shared. There's a lot of solutions that you can copy and paste and bring back to your organization that I think that's what people expect to get at a conference is best practices. Um, and I, and I'll tell you, I got some of that too, even with the improvement nerdiness that I have, I've learned a ton from the book and in my own career, but going to a conference, you're always going to benefit from watching someone else's presentations and how they went about solving a problem or innovating. So there was definitely that at the conference, there's world-class presentations and keynote speakers. Um, So that, you know, is definitely a draw, but I'll tell you to me, if I were to promote why the session is um, important to attend is the, the people you'll meet, the energy you'll gain and the relationships you'll form that continue on past the conference is so hard to quantify, um, but really important to being a successful change agent, you know. Uh, so that that would be my pitch. And hopefully that rings and resonates with some people who are on the fence. Uh, because the people who are already registered, the people who've been attending this conference for all the years, well before I started showing up, they know that. They they know that this is a group of really nerdy people who have a lot of fun together and uh are convinced that they can transform healthcare. And, Why wouldn't you want to hang out with individuals like that? Why wouldn't you want to try to become an individual like that?
1: Well, truer words have never been spoken about our attendees. I'll tell you that over the years I've been there as well. Um, I want to emphasize for our listeners, there is a digital companion, uh, option for the conference. But in order to see Tom's presentation, it is a live event. So you got to register live and join us in Orlando, January 19th through the 21st. Uh, for more information on registration, you can go to www.iise.org slash Hspi slash register. Tom West will be presenting introduction to live thinking. That presentation is going to happen starting at eight a.m. on J- on Wednesday, January nineteenth. And Tom, uh, this all sounds very encouraging. Uh, it certainly sounds interesting, and we very much look forward to seeing your presentation.
2: Yeah, that, I do want to do a plug for my counterpart who's coming out there with me. So uh, wasn't available to attend today's session, and I've done my best to represent some of the brilliance that she has it's laura Pollen mcmichael uh call her lp she'll be out there with me so if my presentation talking on this podcast um you know put you to sleep like gosh tom's so monotone and low energy and th- don't worry i've got LP coming out there with me. She's a woo. Uh, if you know what a woo is, it's it's just a very energetic, outgoing personality. So she's like the opposite of me. So, um, I, I do get in the zone and I have a lot of fun during these conferences, but, uh, she is a dynamo and, um, you know, she's going to definitely help set this session up for success. So that's another benefit of coming and attending is, Uh, to get to engage with her. I can't say enough good things about how brilliant she is and uh, the compliment that she's going to bring to this session. So uh, you can look forward to that, too. Well,
1: that sounds like a great bonus, Uh, Tom. We look forward to seeing you both then in Orlando in January. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah. Take care. Thank you, David.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.